Well, good morning. It's good to be back and to finally be back in the saddle and preaching again. Uh, not that I haven't been preaching over the last uh, last five weeks, but just want you to know, too, um, the weather that we had on, what was it, Wednesday, the the hot weather that we had, that's, that's Asia all the time. So uh, you got just a taste of what, what we lived through all the time there. This morning, as uh, we begin our series again on, on the armor, uh, I, it's been teed up really well for me by Pastor, Pastor Sam and Pastor Jim as they've, they've set things up. And what we've learned already from the start, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop for a second and just pull back and just ask uh, or just talk this morning about shoes. And uh, I don't know. I'm past the age now. Becca is uh, down in Lincoln, Nebraska, playing grandma with, uh, with two of our, our grandkids. And just thinking about that brings back memories of kids trying to get out the door with their shoes. Anybody else there with me? I, 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 I don't know what it is. You, you, can put the che- you can put the shoes in front of the door, and, and they don't move, and you go to bed, and they are still there, and you get up in the morning, and your kid is running around, and you're saying, let's go, we got to go, you got to get to the bus, you got to get to the bus. I can't find my shoes. It's like, what do you mean you can't find your shoes? They're right... And they're not there. And you begin to tear the house apart. And your blood pressure is going up. And you might say something that you wish you didn't have said. And it's like, what on earth? You know, what happened with your shoes? But can you imagine going on a journey without your shoes on? And some of you are saying, yes, I can. And so can I. Uh, We were in, our family was up in northwest Montana at Glacier when we lived in Montana. And we had decided we were going to go to Waterton Glacier, which is the Canadian side. Absolutely breathtaking, just beautiful. If you ever have the chance to do that, go to the, go to the Waterton side as well. And that road from, from where Glacier Park is up to Waterton, there is nothing on that road until you get to Canada. And so we're on that road, and it's about a 70-mile drive. And we're on that road, and all of a sudden I hear from the back seat one of my kids say, about one of their siblings, hey, where are your shoes? And I'm thinking, oh, okay, he's just probably kicked them off and they're on the, on the floorboard in front of him. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. He didn't put on his shoes. And I mean, we're not talking about a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. We're talking about a freshman, sophomore in high school. And it's like, I said, what do you, where, where, where are your shoes? Oh, like, what, what, what do you mean you don't know where your shoes are? Uh, it's like you left the house knowing that we were going to spend the day hiking and other things like that up in Canada. And, and why didn't you put your shoes on? And he's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And, you know, as unthinkable as what that is, for a Roman soldier, they would never go into battle without their shoes. The shoes were one of the things that really enabled the Roman soldiers to be as effective as what they were. But they were only a part of the whole. And that's something that we need to understand. All of these pieces of the armor are a part of the whole. We can't take them piecemeal. They're all considered part of whole. And what we've learned over the last several weeks is this, that we face an enemy that will absolutely eat our lunch if we seek to go out in this battle on our own. We are not able in our own strength and in our own power to stand up against the enemy. We're not. And God knew that. That's why he said, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in what? 
and in his mighty power. We are commanded. It's, it's not a request. It's a command. And it's a command that comes out of the heart of God that says, I so long for you, and I so care about you, and I know that you're going to be in a battle. You need to put on the armor of God. But sadly, so many of us face the attacks, and we face them in our own strength and in our own power, and we wonder why at times that we struggle. We wonder why it is that at times we struggle with doubt. We wonder at times why our heart is being assailed with all kinds of things. Sometimes it's because we're fighting this battle and we're fighting it in our own strength. We're told, we're commanded. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 15, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And we know that the therefore is because of the first couple verses before it. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Yes, I do believe in a literal devil and a literal evil that is in this world that desires to destroy everything, every vestige of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus believed it. Because the word of God talks about it. And he says that therefore put on the full armor of God so that, so that when the day of evil comes... You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, everything to stand, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then, how many times does it say stand? Three times. He says, "Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace." All of these pieces of armor they function together; they don't function separately. And as we, as we see, the armor of God, the weapons that we fight with, we're told, we're told, excuse me, in Ephesians 6, 11, it says, put on the armor. Why? So that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. His schemes are relentless. His schemes are in your face. They are subtle. But his schemes are relentless. They are meant, they are intended to destroy they're intended to destroy your faith. They're intended to bring doubt and fear into your life. They're intended to cause you to look at God and say, God, you don't care about me. You don't love me. They are intended to destroy the peace of God and your peace with God. They are meant to destroy your marriage. They are meant to destroy your integrity. They are meant to destroy your children. The enemy is bent on destruction, and that's why we are called to put on the full armor of God. And my question for us, as we've been walking through this series, now week four, is are we doing this? Because here it is. This is a command that God has given us. And it's not like I'm browbeating you that you've been bad church if you haven't done this. But I would encourage you that after today, we begin as our feet hit the floor just by simply putting on that armor of God. Because it's not a matter of if the attacks are going to come, it's when. It's not a matter of if the attacks are going to come, but when and how that they're going to come. And we see the first place, the first place, or one of the things that we see also about the weapons that we fight with. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5 says that, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, I love one of the other translations, it says, the weapons we fight with are mighty. They're mighty. They're divine weapons. They're divine weapons. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds and take, 
and we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought into captivity, making it obedient unto Christ. The weapons that we fight with are mighty. They're powerful. They're God-given. But we must use them. We must put them on. And we see also that um, the first place, the first place that the enemy often attacks is in the realm of truth, is in the realm of truth. That's why we're called to put on the belt of truth. Truth. Jesus said in John chapter 17, 17, he said, Father, separate them. Father, separate them by your word, for your word is what? It's truth. Your word is truth. And one of the things we need to understand is when Jesus came to us, he said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. And the very person of God's truth resides within you. That's why it's so important that we have the truth of God within us. As we read as well, as we read as well, how do we put that truth of God within us? How do we do that? By, by putting God's word away in our hearts. We read in, in Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. All of the pieces of armor go back to this. Go back to the truth of God's word. And all of them work as a whole. They don't work individually. And it all goes back to the belt of truth. And where will the enemy often first attack? In the area of truth. And he's been doing that since time immortal. Did God really say that you would die if, if you ate from the fruit? You will not surely die. I mean, he's been attacking the truth since forever. Pilate asked Jesus this question. What is truth? It's a question that people are answering to, asking today. What is truth? And there is no such thing, people are saying, there is no such thing as absolute truth. You can't have absolute truth. There are such things as absolute truth. Because the problem with absolute truth is that if there is absolute truth, then, I, then it is incumbent upon me to do something with those truths. But if there are no absolute truths, and I make truth up, and truth becomes what I want it to be. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The enemy often attacks first in the area of the truth. That's why it's so important that we know God's word. That we know God's word, that we're spending time in God's word. It's interesting. Today in my, in my, uh, in my Bible reading, I was reading about the temptation of Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. God says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He sends him out into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit, he goes into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. And it says, I love this, it says he was hungry. I'll bet he was hungry. But you know what is interesting? When does the enemy attack? When, exactly, when you are vulnerable. Some of the greatest attacks, some of his most subtle attacks come when you are vulnerable. When are you most vulnerable? Five times. When you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're lonely, when you're angry. And what is the fifth one? I can't remember. Um, hungry, tired, lonely, whatever. What's that? <laughs> That's about it. But when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're tired, when you're alone, that's the one I was missing. When you're lonely, when you're alone, you are vulnerable. And Satan knew when he was vulnerable. 
And he asked this question. He says, if you are the son of God. I mean, did Satan know that Jesus was the son of God? Absolutely he did. And yet he has the audacity to ask that question. If you are the son of God, and how does Jesus respond? He doesn't respond to the, to the, to the, uh, to the accusation or to the question. What does he respond? It is written. It is written. It is, where does Jesus learn that? Because that's from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where would Jesus have learned that? You've heard me say this before. Jesus would have learned that from his father, Joseph. Why is it so important, parents, that we are pouring into our kids the word of God? God's word won't return to him void. I remember traveling along... um, Traveling along with our kids long before the days of, of CD-ROM and the CD-ROM DVDs. They're already showing my age. DVD players in the car. I mean, we had a, a CD player in the car. I mean, we, our car was pretty fancy at that point, and we would listen to uh, Salty the Singing Songbook and uh, GT and the Halo Express. And and what was it? It was all about learning scripture. And doggone it, you hear, you, I read a verse, and all of a sudden, bink, there comes the, the song that goes along with that verse. But our kids learned those verses as they heard the music. And there are all kinds of ways in which we can learn God's word. Some, oh, I'm, I'm too old, Pastor. I, I'm too old. Look, if this old dog can still learn scripture, so, so can a lot of us. Navigators has some amazing, has some absolutely amazing tools. $5 for an app. $5 for an app that can change your life. For me, it was sitting on the MTR in Hong Kong as I'm driving, as I'm going along and just going through using the Navigator's uh, scripture memory thing. Amazing. And we have all the time in the world, and a lot of times we're just playing other games. What if we use that time to put God's word away in our hearts? It's so important. Because the enemy will attack in the area of the truth. And if you don't know the truth, you are open season. The second area where he will often attack is the core, is at the core of who we are. That's why we need to put the breastplate of righteousness on. The breastplate for a soldier covered the vital organs, covered the vital organs from attack. The breastplate of righteousness covers who we are because not only will the enemy attack the truth of God's word, he will attack the truth of who you are. Who you are is not determined by what it is that you've done. If you are a Jesus follower, if you have said to God, God, forgive me for my sins. I realize that I am a sinner and I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as my savior because I cannot get to heaven on my own. If you are a Jesus follower, God says that your identity is now based not upon what you've done, but what was done for you at the cross. Amen? I mean, if that doesn't get your fire up, your wood's wet. Because here's the thing. With the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, all of the righteousness of Christ was dumped into my account when I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. More about that in a minute. But because of the cross, I am declared, there's three things that I am declared. The first one is that I am declared, the first thing that, I can tell I've been away from here for a while. The first thing that I declare is that, next slide please, is that I'm accepted. I'm accepted by God. I'm secure 
in God. And I have significance in God. And we're going to unpack that a whole lot more in just a bit. But who needs to hear that today? <laughs> I am accepted in God. I am significant in God's eyes. I am secure in God's eyes. You see, where the enemy will attack is at the core of who you are. Who you are is based not on what you've done, but on what Christ has done for you. That's why I put that on. And see, when, when the enemy attacks, the third area that he will attack is in the area of the peace of God. My peace with, my peace with God, the peace of God within my heart. So how do I stand against that? How, how do I stand against? Because the enemy is going to attack the peace of God, the peace of God in my heart. And how do I stand against that? Not only, I shouldn't say peace of God, the peace with God. Uh, let me just... You can put that one in instead. We're going to talk about the peace of God in a bit, but it's the peace with God is what it should be. So how do I stand against that? Well, this is where our, our scripture comes in here, and he says that, that I am to put on the shoes of peace, have, have my feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Ready. My feet fitted. We have a picture here of, of some shoes, of Roman shoes. This is one of the reasons why, I mean, this is, a, this is a, a pair of shoes that you can still buy today. Imagine that. You can buy a Roman soldier's shoes. But this is one of the reasons why they were so effective. Because of the, the little hobnails on the bottom and, and the, ability to, the ability to stand in the battle. They could not only march faster with these on, but when the battle came, they could stand. Throw at, you, throw at them what you may but they were able to stand. Most of the sandals at this time, they're all flat bottom. and There's no standing. And they were able to stand in the midst of the battle. But shoes, as good as what they are, if they don't fit, they're worthless, aren't they? Have you ever had a pair of shoes that don't fit? I, I think back, and Derek, I, I think about you as a, a band teacher. My kids, my older boys, when they were in junior high and in high school, they come... The <laughs> the night of a concert, and say, Dad, Dad, I, I, I need a pair of black shoes. I'm looking at my watch. It's 6 o'clock. We lived in Podunk, Montana. The store's closed at 5 o'clock. It's like, well, I don't know where you're going to get a pair of shoes. The only black shoes we have in our house are my Sunday shoes. So I wear a 10-and-a-half size shoe. One son wears a size 11. other one wears size 11-and-a-half. Yeah, you want to see that picture? And they would trade shoes. The one would, would wear them until his concert was done, and then the other one would put on, on the shoes. I can't imagine how that must have felt. There's no standing. There's no walking. It's just get through this concert and get these shoes off. The funny times were when they would have to march, march for in band with those same shoes on. It's like, how on earth do you do that? It's one thing to have a pair of shoes, but the shoes need to fit. You need to have them on. And you know, as you learn God's word, it needs to fit your life as well. You don't just spout off a, a, a just don't just spot off a, what somebody else says. Know it for yourself. Know it for yourself in such a way that when the time comes that you can speak back and you can stand against what it is that the enemy said. Choose. And while there may fit. They need to be laced up and ready to go. That's what he's saying. Having your feet fitted with the readiness. It talks about preparation. 
Because it's not a matter of if the attacks are going to come, it's when and how. Guaranteed, count on it. The enemies are, the, the attacks are going to come. Are you ready? Are you prepared for when they come? Because the enemy is going to attack the peace that the peace of God that you the peace that you have with God. Now there's two types of peace. The first one I want to talk about is peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through peace, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, a major transaction happened. At the cross, when Jesus died, God put, God put on him, all of the, God, God put all of his wrath upon his son. And when he died, he paid a price that he didn't know because we had a debt that we couldn't pay. And at the cross, God declares us not guilty. Think about that for a second. And when you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God declares you not guilty. When you put your faith in him, God declares you not guilty. You have peace with God. And the enemy will often attack that peace. And what we need to remember, and here's where I'm going to unpack that whole uh, last thing, what I said about acceptance, about significance, and about security. Now is when I'm going to unpack that a lot more. When the attack comes against the peace that we have with God, we need to remember, first of all, that I'm accepted. That I'm accepted. When Jesus died on the cross and when I prayed to receive him, all of the righteousness of God was deposited into my account. And so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me through my past sin. He sees me through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who you are in Christ. If you are a Jesus follower, you have been accepted by God. You have been declared his child. Listen to what John chapter 1 verse 12 says. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right, he gave the exousia, the authority to become the children of God. If you were a Jesus follower, you were a child of God, and that's not going to change. Amen? That's not going to change. You are God's child. Worst day, best day. As a parent, you're going to have those days where you're going to get a telephone call. It's going to be in the middle of the night, and it's going to be one of your kids, and he's going to tell you something that's going to be hard to hear. And when I get those conversations late in the middle of the night, one of the things I want to tell my kids, and I'm no hero, I wasn't the best parent in the world, but I tell my kids, I love you, and I'm proud of you, and nothing is ever going to change what it is that you're going to say to me next. That's not going to change. Nothing's going to change that. Now, tell me what you have to tell me. You are a child of God. You have been accepted by God. Not only have you been accepted by God and you be called his child, but as part of that acceptance, you've been redeemed. To be redeemed means to be bought back. He says in, in um, excuse me, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to, your, to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish is what verse 19 says. He says, you were redeemed. You were bought back from the empty way of life handed down to you. Do you remember what your life was like before Christ? Remember waking up on Sunday morning and worshiping at the porcelain altar? Remember what that was like? 
Remember the emptiness of what our life was like before Christ? Do we want to go back to that? Jesus said, I've redeemed you from that. I brought you out of that. You are his child. You have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb in addition to being redeemed. He says as well in 2 Corinthians, he says, you're a new creation. He says, you're a new creation. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You're new. You've been made new by the blood of the lamb. My question for us this morning is, are you? We've been made new. We've been declared. We've been declared a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But sometimes in our lives, we live as though we're still back over here. When in reality, we're supposed to be over here. We're a new creation. And what we need to remind ourselves often is, I am a new creation. The old is gone. God doesn't see me that way anymore. And the enemy, you do not have control in my life anymore. That's who I was. And this is who I am. I've been redeemed. That's why we speak the truth. We speak the truth. Don't get in an argument. Don't get in a big conversation with the enemy. You will lose every time. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. As well, I need to, because I'm accepted, I'm forgiven. It says, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I love what Titus chapter 3 says. It says, when the, when the love and mercy of God appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy, he saved us. You have been forgiven. You've been adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been declared a new creation. This is who you are. That's the truth of who you are. And when the, <coughs> excuse me, when the enemy seeks to attack the peace with God that you have, you counter with the truth. But it gets better. Not only are you accepted, but there is significance as well, or security as well. I'm free from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we sin, what's our natural proclivity? Our natural proclivity is not to go towards God. It is to go away from God. Go back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they sinned. And our natural proclivity is to go away from God. Why? Because what happens when we sin? The condemnation comes right away. And while it is that we have sinned, because I know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, I know that there's also nothing that I can do to separate myself from the love of God, which is mine in Christ Jesus as well. Romans 8, chapter, chapter 35 and then 37 and 39 say this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See, that's the, the aim of the enemy, is that when you have sinned, oh, God can't love you. I mean, maybe you need to start again, but you've blown it. Again, you said all those things, and, and, and here you find yourself at the same place you've always been. And we need to remember this. This is truth. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. I don't know what's on your plate this morning. I don't know what it is that you brought in here this morning. But understand this. If you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He says, shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or the sword. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Next, for, next slide. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's truth. And that's what we stand in when condemnation comes, when the things from our past come up. We stand in that fact, I am accepted, I am loved, I am redeemed, and there is nothing that can ever change that. Because it's not based on what you've done, it's based on what was done for you at the cross. Not only am I accepted, not only am I secure, but I am significant as well. In the eyes of God, I'm significant as well. He says in, in John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Did you catch that? He chose you. He chose you. I know that there, for some of us, we have heard the words, I wish you were never born. You're a waste of time on this earth. You are a loser. You are nothing. That's what the enemy would love for you to hear. But this is where we counter with the truth. I've been chosen. I've been chosen by God and appointed to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God has put me in a place. I heard a beautiful testimony this week of a, a person who God has put in a specific place. And God is using this individual in that specific place to bring fruit for his kingdom. You're not at a place just randomly. God has surgically placed you where it is that he wants you to be. And where it is that he has you is to bear fruit. You are significant in his eyes. Not only that, but he says in Philippians or in Ephesians chapter 2.10, he says, we are God's workmanship. God doesn't make junk. You're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, and I love the last line, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God had your life laid out for you. And God had things lined up for you to do. Works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. There is significance. He says of you, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. There is significance in our lives. That is truth. That is peace with God. But sadly, we can have, next slide please, sadly, we can have the peace, we can have peace with God and miss the peace of God in our lives. Because this too is an area where the enemy attacks and he attacks viciously. And how does he do that? Through fear, anxiety, doubt, a crushing sense of just, God, why on earth are you doing this in my life? If you were a God who truly loved me, then why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this in my life? He seeks to attack the peace of God in our lives. The peace of God. And sadly, we can have peace with God. If you're a believer, you have the peace, you have peace with God. But you can have peace with God and not have the peace of God. And for some of us, we carried in here this morning things on our shoulder that our shoulders are never meant to carry. 
We're eating Tums by the bottle. We come home and the dog runs and everybody else runs because they don't want to be around you. You don't sleep at night because you got stuff that's just weighing your heart down. Stuff that God said you were never meant to carry. Philippians chapter 4 says this. He says, don't be anxious about about what? What does he say? What, What does that word mean? That means everything. There's nothing that I'm to be anxious about. I mean, that isn't rocket science. But yet, why is it that we allow this stuff to just destroy our lives? To cripple us? Because what does anxiety do? What does fear do? What does doubt do? What does crushing circumstances do in our lives? It takes the focus off of God and puts it onto that situation. A situation that almost all the time I have no ability to do anything with. It just causes me to eat Tums. It just causes me to be a crabby person. It just causes me to doubt who it is that God is. But he says, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let me ask you, how you doing with that? What's eating your lunch today? What is it you carried in here this morning that you'd say, you're right, God. This is just causing me to take my face off of you and put it onto this. Can we put that scripture up there one more time? He says, present it to God. Prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. God, I don't know how. I mean, I remember some of us don't. There's a king way back in, in Israel's history, Ju- Judah's history. His name was Jehoshaphat. And when faced with an overwhelming odds of a, a, a conquering nation, he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a, What an amazing stretch of faith with thanksgiving god i don't know how i don't know how this is ever going to work out i don't know how that knucklehead of a a child of mine is ever going to change their way i i don't know how god that we're ever going to get the money for the bills i don't know how this this uh medical thing is ever going to work out but god i choose to lay it at your feet and i choose to let it go and give it to you And what does he say happens? Next verse. I love it. Read this with me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. And the peace of God, when it says transcends all understanding, I like to translate a little differently. And the peace of God, which is beyond our ability to comprehend, will guard, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because the attacks don't just come at our heart. They come at our mind as well. And that's why we're told to put on the helmet of salvation. Or take up, put, take up the helmet of salvation. Guard your heart. The breastplate covers your heart. The helmet covers your mind. And some of the greatest battles that we face are battles of the mind. So how do I stand against that? 
How do I know? If I do that, then what will happen? Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4 says that he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in you. He will keep in what kind of peace? A little louder, please. I'm, I'm back home now. Perfect peace. Perfect peace. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Trust in him. It, it's an issue of trust. Because sometimes when the anxiety comes, when the fear comes, God says, trust me with this. Trust me with this. And our question is, will I trust him? Will I give that over to him and take this off of my hands and watch to see what it is that he does? Is God able? He is. He is. He's not left us alone in this battle. So we're driving along to Canada. And we're praying. There's, there's no Walmart. There's no convenience store. There, there's nothing but trees between here and, and Waterton Glacier. And we're praying, God, we, we don't have anything, any way out. I said, why? I don't know how we're going to do it today. He's got just stocking feet, and I don't know how it's going to happen. As God is my witness, Becca isn't here today, but you can call any one of my kids. No more than five miles down the road, here on a barbed wire fence, is a pair of high-top cons on, on, the, on the fence. And my son looks at me and says, I ain't wearing those. He's like, oh, yes, you are. God provided you with those shoes. You're going to wear them. And, you know, they fit. It was, it was God provided. They fit. He didn't like it. He was grouchy about it, but I don't know what sense and reason left him when he didn't put shoes on when he walked out the door. It's like, good gracious. But where I go with that story is this, that God has provided, and we're called to wear them. They're there for our protection. This morning as you leave, if I could have the two guys that I asked that are going to help me with this. Before you leave this morning, I want to give you this. This is put out by um, Freedom in Christ Ministry, amazing ministry. When I talked about being accepted, being secure, being significant, this comes from this little bookmark, an amazing little bookmark, because it talks about who you are. And when I talked about forgiveness, when I talked about redemption, that's just scratching the surface. But this morning I want to give you this because this is something that don't just file it away, but take it and use it. Look up the scriptures and look at this is who I am. And on the backside of it as well, it talks about Satan's lies, what Satan will say, and how God counters that as well. And I want to give you that this morning. But again, I would ask, don't just file it away. Take some time with it. Why? Because it's truth. And it's truth that combats the lie every single time. So take up, put on the belt of truth. Have, your, have the breastplate of righteousness in its place and have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith with which to extinguish all of the fiery darts. Put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Next week, we're going to look at the shield of faith. And then the week after that, we'll be looking at um, 
the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit as we close out the series. But my, my admonition to you as your pastor as we leave today is this. God has given this to us for our protection. Because it's not a matter of if the attacks are going to come, it's when. And are you ready? And are you prepared? He's given us all that we need. But we make the choice of whether or not we put it on or not. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for your word again. And I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace that gives us the ability to to stand. I find it interesting, Father, that the shoes, the Roman shoes were never meant to run. They were meant to stand in. And you've not called us to run from the battle, but you've called us to stand. And God, as we come before you this morning, I pray, first of all, for our hearts. Because if our hearts are not right with you, we're open season for the enemy. And I pray that this morning, that as we've heard your word, that, Lord, you would breathe hope and life into us again. As we hear the truth of who we are in you. I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word and for the peace we can have with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for making the way possible for us to have that peace. And I pray that, God, while we have peace with you, I pray that we will have the peace of God as well. God, some of us carried in some pretty heavy burdens this morning. We have health issues. We have elderly parents. We've got prodigal children, financial issues, marital issues. You name it. And God, we carry these things in, and sometimes we carry them out. And you stand at the door and knock. And you ask to be invited into the mess. And I pray that, God, we will take you up on your offer. And that we will give those things which are just consuming us today. Fear, doubt, anxiety, crushing situations. And that, God, you will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that, God, you will help us to fix our mind on those things which are above and not on this earth. And I pray that, God, that whatsoever things are true would be that which consumes our thoughts. And I pray that, God, in a very precious way, that you will speak to each one of our hearts today about who we are in you. And that, God, you will give us the ability to put your word away and to remember who I am in Christ. 
Christ. And I thank you that, God, we are deeply loved in you. Breathe life into our soils again. And do, God, what only you can. I come with full expectancy, believing you, God, to do what it is that you said you would do. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been good to be back home and to be back in this pulpit. And I just pray God's blessing over you this week. You're accepted. You are secure. You are significant in Christ. That's who you are in Jesus today. In his name, I pray that. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.